Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to be one of the best stat gurus in college basketball? We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 62 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. It's no real secret that New England Patriots tight end Robert Gronkowski likes to party. But when Gronk brought the party on a cruise ship last year, the trip, as you might expect, got a little out of hand in many different ways and has resulted in some lifetime bans from a number two and a $20 bill. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. New England Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski hails as one of the biggest party animals in the National Football League. From dancing at clubs to shotgunning beers during victory parades, Gronk's escapades are that of legendary status. But Gronk and the rest of the Gronkowski brothers went a little bit overboard when it came to their next bonanza with the Gronk party ship. Patrons spent about $800 per ticket and about $300 more for a drink package before setting sail on the Norwegian Pearl for a three-day tour from Miami to what was deemed Gronk's Island in the Bahamas. The affair was everything you would expect it to be, with loud music, liquor flowing like the rivers of Babylon, and of course, Gronk front and center for the whole thing. By almost all accounts from those who took the cruise for the biggest party on the sea, it was one of the best experiences of their lives. But for the 1,500 or so other patrons that had no idea of the Gronk party ship, the extravaganza was poo-pooed. Shockingly, the cruise did not have too many ill effects. The boat didn't sink. Gronk did not father any children either, at least that we know of. However, recently we learned that for some of the VIPs that attended the event, including music artists and DJs, the Gronk party ship was a real stinker. Things really went down the toilet. Things ended up crappy. Legendary artist DJ Woo Kid and Waka Flock of Flame recently told TMZ Sports that they were banned from the Norwegian cruise line because of a poo prank that stunk up the voyage. 
If you need to Google who the hell DJ Wu Kid and Waka Flocka Flame are, I'll wait. According to DJ Wu Kid, someone took a number two on the boats behind the pool, then placed a $20 bill on the logs out of respect for the maintenance staff that were to be tasked with swabbing the poop deck. Woo Kid went on to say all the celebs in the VIP section were questioned and subsequently banned. If we learned anything from the Phantom Pooper, it's this. Have you ever taken a poop worthy of $20? <laughs> Only on the Gronk Party Ship. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to use the facilities. When we come back, we'll talk to a college basketball stats guru about his famous rating system. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to the bridge. This week, we want to know, what will you remember most from the NCAA college basketball season and why? As some of you might be able to guess, I was never really good at statistics and still am not, even though stats are a big part of sports. As some of you might also have been able to guess, I have a cold, so just bear with my voice. It's never good when the one thing you use for this sort of thing has some troubles. Anyway, in recent years, it's almost become a chore in itself just to keep up with the new metrics and rankings all throughout sports, though the advanced knowledge one can acquire from them certainly helps, especially scouts, coaches, and players, fantasy football folks, whomever. One of the most respected stats gurus in college basketball is someone you probably only know from the abbreviation used for his Ken Palm ratings. Ken Pomeroy, the man behind KenPalm.com, is one of the best when it comes to the statistical side of college basketball and was kind enough to join us during his vacation to help peel back the curtain a little bit about what he does and how he went from being a meteorologist to doing this college basketball thing as a full-time gig. We'll get into what the Ken Palm ratings are and the other things you can find on his website along with so much more. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Ken Pomeroy. That's K-E-N-P-O-M-E-R-O-Y. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Ken Pomeroy. He is a college basketball stats guru and the founder of KenPom.com. Ken, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Just kind of uh, recovering from the end of the season. So uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a relaxing week this week. I think that's well-deserved, certainly. And we'll get into some of the different things you do regarding college basketball so people get a better understanding of how much work goes into a normal season for you. Let me start by asking, we're now in the offseason. The national championship was won by North Carolina in early April, as we know. What do you do now to unwind now that the college basketball season has finally come to a close? Yeah, you know, I'm definitely not one of these people who, uh, you know, when the, when the championship game is over, I don't I don't say, man, I wish the season would start again tomorrow. You know, I, I, uh, I appreciate the offseason. I'm very happy to have it. I mean, from from a professional standpoint, the season itself is pretty hectic and it flies by. And then the off season is a good time to, uh, uh, you know, work on kind of longer term projects, longer term research projects, uh, upgrades to the site and, and not necessarily have to worry about a, uh, a hard deadline, you know, staring me in the face. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of what I do during the off season. That'll, that kind of routine probably takes me up to, you know, late September, early October when I start, you know, putting together the the preseason rankings for the site, and that requires you know a little bit of research. But other than that, it's pretty. It's uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm not focused on basketball, but it's a little more laid back, and you know, a little more chance to spend my leisure time, you know, doing whatever, but enjoying the uh, 
the fine, you know, summer weather that we get here in Utah. So whether it's out playing around a golf or, or going for a hike in the mountains, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of that in between. Uh, those, those basically make up my work breaks, I guess you could say. Right. A, a couple earlier months for a summer vacation and nothing wrong with that, certainly. Before we get into what it is that you do, I wanted to turn back the clocks just a little bit to start. How did you go from working as a meteorologist for the U.S. government to becoming a statistician for college basketball? Well, I, you know, basketball was always uh, my favorite sport, and uh, I'm kind of uh, a bit of a nerd at heart. So, you know, I've always been into numbers and, and sports statistics. I mean, Bill James was uh, a big influence when I was younger, and uh, you know, that kind of planted the seed in my head for you know, thinking about or maybe not trusting, uh, you know, the basic stats that we get in whatever sport that we may, we may be watching. So, so it's always been kind of a, a hobby of mine to work on this kind of thing. And, uh, um, uh, you know, basically that eventually led to, to it becoming a career, but I, you know, for a while I was obviously doing the meteorology thing and doing the, the basketball thing simultaneously, but, uh, ultimately basketball went out. But, um, I mean, one of the things that meteorology really helped with was, kind of allowing me to uh, understand the limitations of, of forecasting or making a prediction, which I think uh, comes in handy in, you know, the work I do. And I think it's sometimes it's kind of missing in, in, you know, other people's work who are making predictions, you know, they think they have this kind of illusion that they can, you know, be infallible on some things. And it's really, it's really not possible. And so expressing, you know, your fallibility, I think is pretty important in, in this business. Would you say it's more difficult predicting Mother Nature and the weather, or more difficult to predict college basketball? I, you know, it depends on the day. It depends on the matchup. I mean, the the main, you know, the main difference is that there's more at stake when you're predicting the weather. I mean, the weather uh, literally affects everybody. So, um, you know, whether people care about the weather or not, at some point, uh, their day is going to be. Uh, altered by uh, weather. So, um, so making that forecast is a little bit more at stake than say, you know, making a forecast for a random college basketball game, even though, uh, you know, certain fan bases are obviously, um, willing to let you know when you miss, miss a prediction on a basketball game. But, but I mean, the grand scheme of things, it's, uh, small potatoes compared to trying to, to forecast weather. Now, for the question or questions, I'm sure you've been asked hundreds of times. You started innocently enough with this as a blog back in 1999. What was the inspiration for you to decide to get into college basketball stats and start really working on that project? So when I started the site in, in 1999, that was uh, more um, it's more kind of a general like rating site. You know, I I was just kind of copying Jeff Sagarin's work and basically applying it to like all sorts of like esoteric sports that Jeff Sagarin would never care about. And, uh, and, you know, I did that for a few years and, you know, I was, I was doing it for college basketball too, but, um, I mean, eventually I guess it just came into my head that I didn't want to do what you know everybody else was doing. I wanted to do something different, maybe contribute something new to, to the scene. And so, um, so, you know, I started thinking about per possession statistics and, and uh, doing some research on that, Dean Oliver, who was kind of the, uh, I think the, the, you know, you consider him the grandfather of uh, of um, basketball analytics. You know, he published a book, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. So that kind of shaped my thinking. And so I had these ideas in my head. It really wasn't until like the 2003, 2004 season. I mean, I always bring up the example of Air Force at the time. They were running this Princeton offense and. And I, you know, was living out west and watching a lot of their games. And, you know, the announcers would kind of blindly just uh, praise their defense because they're allowing so few points per game. But the reality was they played at a really slow pace and allowed a team very few possessions. So, uh, that was that was the reason teams weren't scoring much on them. So, uh, so yeah, that kind of got me going, you know, to start working on the website and, and publishing the stats every once in a while. You know, there were other things going on that season, like St. Joe's was having a really good year and uh, undefeated till till the A10 tournament, and uh, um, you know there was some question about how good they were, and so you know kind of breaking down these stats. I think uh, when I first started doing it, really uh, shed a lot of light on um, some of these issues that I I thought were hard to grasp, and I could tell from you know what analysts were fo- focusing on that it was kind of hard for them to uh, kind of understand what was happening as well. So um, so that you know that was the year that I basically just stopped doing all the other frivolous rating stuff and started focusing on college basketball. I don't know how often Air Force gets shout out 
especially their basketball team for this sort of thing. So I'm glad you brought them up. I was going to mention them as maybe an influence to get the ball rolling on some of these things. And I'm going to take the easy way out with this, but I think it's better to have you explain it rather than a radio guy or a broadcaster. What's the best way that you tell people to describe the Kempom rating system and what sort of stats analysis we can find on your site? Yeah, I mean, the, the rating system is, first of all, it's like a really, it gets a lot of attention because it's now it's, you know, the free part of the site, but it's really just like a small part of my work. Um, but, you know, the ratings themselves are based on a team's offensive and defensive efficiency. So the points they score for 100 possessions, points they allow for 100 possessions. There are certain adjustments made to that number based on schedule and when games are played and, you know, kind of the, the, the lopsidedness, if you will, uh, of the game. Um, but those are the two numbers that, that make up the ratings. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I mean, the, the site uh, uh, has a lot more information about, you know, each team's strengths and weaknesses. It looks at, uh, it basically tries to look at everything, um, you know, in terms of the opportunities a team has to demonstrate a skill. So, um, so just like, you know, we're looking at points per possession instead of points per game, uh, you know, we look at turnovers per possession. Um, uh, you know, offensive rebounding percentage is, is one of the big stats. And, you know, we're looking at, the, you know, basically how many, how often does the team get an offensive rebound given the chances that they have to get an offensive rebound. So, you know, if you watch a, a basketball game, people will refer to, they'll refer to rebounding stats either with rebound margin, which combines offensive and defensive rebounding in kind of a nonsensical way, or they'll talk about offensive rebounds per game. And, uh, you know, that's also influenced by pace. But uh, the idea is, you know, hey, what if you want to know what a team does well, look at the opportunities they have to, to demonstrate that skill. And uh, and so that's uh, kind of my long-winded response to uh, kind of the, uh, the the idea behind my site. And those are the stats that you see, whether it's for a team or, or a player. If you're a subscriber, you get, you know, access to kind of all of that um, information for, for all 351 Division One teams. Visually, the site is a little vintage on the eyes, but that's also one of the things that makes it great is because you know exactly where to go to find the information. There's not ads popping up at you and things taking away from the statistics themselves. The content has certainly evolved and continues to year after year. What would you say the biggest additions have been since you first started or maybe some of the statistics that you find to be your most favorite ones? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just been a slow evolution pretty much since uh, since I, you know, started doing the the ratings the way I do them. Um, I mean, when I first started the site, you know, it was just team statistics. It was just what we call the four factors, which are uh, effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, rebounding percentage, and the free throw rate. I just had basically had those four four stats to go with offensive and defensive efficiency, and uh, and they're just team team level stats, and I just updated them every week, and you know, every year like. I just kind of advanced the site a little bit further, you know, started doing updates daily. Um, now I do updates basically live. So, uh, you know, once a game is over and I have the official box score on my site, um, the site updates, uh, you know, I added player stats, you know, seven or eight years ago. And again, when I first did it, I updated them weekly and, and now I'm updating them, you know, basically live. So, um, so there's a lot of like little things I've added along the way, but, yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up the look of the site because I do get kind of a lot of crap for that, and uh, I, I am proud of it. I mean, there's no, there's definitely no like mistaking what you're getting into at my site. You know, you're not going to get pop-up videos, you're not going to get a bunch of clickbait links all over the place. You're just going to get information, and if you want something more than information, then you know you have to go somewhere else. But yeah, there's so many sites these days where you know you want to read something or you want to get a piece of information, and there's just so many distractions on the, on you know a page that it really uh, makes it more difficult to uh, consume the content. And, uh, and that's one thing I, I kind of promised when I went to the subscription subscription uh, model was, you know, okay, if I'm going to charge people for this. I'm not going to have any ads. I'm just going to maintain the same kind of look and feel that I've always had. And it's not to say that I won't update things with, you know, a graph here or there, or, or there might not be a little bit more eye candy going forward. But, um, but yeah, as far as like, you know, forcing like videos on you when you, when you load the page, I mean, that that's not, something that uh, will ever uh, happen on my site. So if a beer company or a movie company or someone were to approach you with a lifetime supply of X, we're still going to stick to pretty much the same formula on the site? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if it was a life, I don't, yeah, I don't know what that X would be, but 
I mean, at some point, obviously, I'm not going to run the site forever. So at some point, it'll probably fall into somebody else's hands and who knows what they'll do with it. But that's part of the reason why I've also, you know, kind of had some independence. I think uh, um, the idea of kind of turning my site over to, uh, you know, a, a major uh, website that would, uh, you know, maybe mess it up a little bit is not something I'm willing to do right now. <laughs> I reserve the right to change my mind, you know, down the road, obviously. Like I right. said, I'm not going to do this forever, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, as long as I'm running it, I can't imagine, you know, really too much change in the way the site looks. How long did it take you to perfect this? Or is this something that is constantly evolving when it comes to figuring out the statistics and putting everything together year after year? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's, the site itself is constantly evolving. And I would say, like, my uh, mindset or my understanding of the the game or what's important or what different stats mean, uh, you know, that's constantly evolving as well. I mean, that's, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of a cool thing about the sport is that, um, it is difficult to understand. First of all, just by watching it, it's difficult to understand, but even, you know, numerically, like, uh, some stats can mean one thing in, in, in a certain context, or they can mean something entirely different in another context. And, uh, and so it's not enough to really just, you know, if you don't know anything about the sport, just looking at the numbers may not um, help you. It might actually lead you astray in some cases. But you know, if you have some, if you have a good understanding of the sport and then a good understanding of the numbers, I think that ultimately um, you know makes you a more uh, intelligent uh, student of the game. And uh, I mean, that's certainly something. You know, there's stuff kind of every year that you sort of think you know what what this stat means, and then you know you think this might disqualify a certain team from a deep run in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, they make that run and then you're like, okay, well, life isn't that simple. You know, there's obviously many, many ways to succeed. And that's why I, you know, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I bristle sometimes because people are always kind of making up rules of thumb. You know, this team can't go to the final four because their defense isn't ranked such and such, or they don't do this well, or they don't have this, or, you know, you have to have a good point guard to go far, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you know, we can go back even just the short history of my site and find, kind of exceptions to all these rules. And even if you can't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't have an exception going forward. I mean, you know, hard and fast rule. There's nothing written in the, in the laws of basketball that, you know, says you have to play the game a certain way to be successful. There's, uh, you know, a variety of ways that you can play it and, and still have success. Do your friends contact you, say, during those selection shows or when the brackets are released or when we are watching analysts on TV when you might be sitting home and going, well, I don't know about that. Are you somebody that they go to right away? Like, Hey Ken, what's going on? Well, this, should I believe what they're saying? What do you got for us? You know, it's funny. Cause like most of my, most of my friends are not that into basketball. So, so it's sort of like, uh, yeah, a dual life in, in, to some degree. And I think the ones that are like, they just, you know, are savvy enough to, uh, maybe go onto my site and just figure it out for themselves. But, uh, you know, occasionally you make a small talk with people and, you know, introducing yourself and they figure out what I do. Like, they'll, they'll ask some questions, but, um, yeah, for the most part, it's weird. Like outside of, outside of, you know, these kind of interviews or, or being at games, uh, you know, in my social life, there's not a lot of discussion about basketball. When it comes to those algorithms and formulas that you use, I obviously don't expect you to break the code and tell everybody what goes on, but could you put it into, say, maybe a grade level perspective, how in-depth we're going with the different things you have to do to figure out these rankings? Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not uh, actually too difficult. I mean, I don't want to, like, minimize it, like, uh, you know, it, uh, but you can, I mean, most of the, most of the stats on my site are, are basically, you know, one number divided by another, you know, there's no real, like, you know, I, I think people um, are familiar with like baseball stats that they're into, you know, analytics, even like a, a casual fan, you know, they're familiar with kind of the acronyms in baseball and um, some of the, you know, a lot of the stats in baseball are, are black boxes, you know, that you really can't compute on the fly. But I mean, you know, to me, like one of the most insightful stats on my site, and it's not something I invented, obviously, is just a team's two point percentage, you know, whether it's offense or defense. Um, two-point percentage is, like, much more stable from game to game. The defense has much more influence over it than three-point percentage. And obviously, like, you know, every like I just tell you what two-point percentage is, and you know I mean, you know how to calculate it. It's two-pointers two made divided by two-pointers attempted. Um, most stats on my site are that way. You know, one number divided by another. There might be, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I have something called uh, offensive rating for players, which, uh, again, 
aforementioned Dean Oliver um, invented. But you know that you know that's a complicated calculation. But the final number is basically just a measure of you know the number of points a player would score for a 100 possession. So it's just like offensive efficiency for a team, but it's on a player level. So so I'd like to think that uh, you know if you have like a desire to understand uh, you know kind of more advanced statistics in basketball, that the the barrier to uh, understanding that is is a lot lower than it is in um, Certainly, I'd say in baseball and, and perhaps other sports as well. I'm not as familiar with other sports. You know, football has some complicated acronyms that are used to determine value. And, um, you know, for the most part in, in basketball, you don't, you don't necessarily need to, to go that far to get some good understanding. How much easier has the process become since you first started? I know you weren't sitting under candlelight with graph paper figuring everything out with pencil and calculator, but just based on what computers can do now and how easy you can find box scores and different stats that you could use to plug into what you're doing, how has that evolution really helped your process to be able to get everything out pretty quickly after all the games are over? Yeah, I mean, the the website's like, you know, basically 100% automated. That's not to say that there aren't like glitches in it from time to time, but the processes are all automated now. And yeah, that, I mean, that's another story in itself because, uh, you know, when I first, you know, when I first started doing the, the, you know, offensive and defensive efficiency and the four factors for the team, um, you know, I would update it. Like I said, initially I did it once a week just because it was kind of a tedious process. And then I, kind of refined it and I was able to update it once a day, but I still have to like wait for all the games to end. And, you know, I, I was screen scraping from various sites and no single site had like a complete um, batch of data. So it was often um, painful, you know, after the last game ended to try to update it. Um, and even, you know, I started the subscription model, I guess five years ago. And uh, the first year I was doing that, I, I had player stats, but it was still like a really messed up way that I was computing them. And, definitely error prone and I'd have to wait, uh, um, until the, the player stats got updated on a different site. And I'd be up to like two, three in the morning every night waiting to kind of update those stats. But now, uh, you know, now things that are a lot more professional and refined and I, you know, pay somebody to supply me with data. And so the data just flows automatically and I've written a lot of code and that's, you know, that's something I do in the off season. Like, um, it's not all like sitting at the beach, you know, drinking cocktails. It's, uh, there's a lot of coding going on and making sure that, uh, you know, processes when the season starts will, will run smoothly. And, uh, I'm constantly like refining that and trying to streamline things. So there's less work for me to, to do during the season. So I can, you know, focus on watching games or writing or doing research or, you know, helping coaches or, or whatever it is that I end up doing during the week. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, everything's been just like this kind of long evolution where in any, in any, in any individual year, it's, uh, you know, it's very slow and incremental, but you look kind of over the history of the site and I, it's like, I've come, I've come a long way from when I first started. I know Brad Stevens sort of put what you do under the microscope back in 2010 when Butler was going up against Duke in the national championship. And he mentioned that one of the first things he did upon realizing they would be playing Duke was check out your website. But I'm sure even before that, you might have gotten the idea that what you were doing was really taking off either in the college basketball world or the sports media world, was there a time where you sort of sat back and went, wow, this is really something that people are using? Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know like when that first like moment was, but yeah, even I mean, that article was huge in the New York times and it was, you know, on the eve of the, the final four, uh, the championship game, I guess. So, um, I mean, that was enormous, but, uh, yeah, I mean, even before then, you know, I'd occasionally hear about, it was mainly like assistant coaches, I think, that were kind of jumping on board, and occasionally they'd get the ear of like a columnist or something, and, you know, so the columnist would say, oh, what's this Ken Palm, and they'd go look at it, and some of them, you know, wouldn't really understand what it was, but some of them did, and some of them took to it, like, I mean, Grant Wall at SI, uh, I think he was one of the first to really, like, give me a, a lot of publicity, um, and, you know, obviously he doesn't write about basketball anymore. He writes about soccer, but I was fortunate that like the three or four years he wrote about college basketball for Sports Illustrated, he showed some interest in my site and, and shed some light on it. So there were those moments that were, um, that were pretty cool, but uh, yeah, it's kind of weird now because, you know, you end up hearing your name mentioned and it doesn't get old. Like it's kind of, 
you know, I'm a little bit awestruck sometimes when a, a coach brings up my name or compliments me on my work or whatever. It's, uh, it's, it's sometimes hard to keep it in perspective, but you know, when I reflect on when I started, I had no, like I had no long-term vision of just turning out the way it did. I thought there'd be maybe a small audience, um, of people that were interested. And, um, at the time it was a very small audience, but it, it's been pretty cool to see how, how much it's grown. Have any coaches or programs maybe sent to you fruit baskets or Christmas cards or some way of thanks from what you might have provided them for some success? No, I think about the best I've done is, uh, you know, get some, get some free gear, you know, a t-shirt or something <laughs> like that. I mean, I mean, the bottom line is like, I don't, you know, I don't do any advertising. I've been fortunate that I haven't really had to. And I mean, the, you know, the coaches and media are the best advertisers for me but the coaches above all because there's always you know skeptical people in the media who kind of have their routine and they don't really want to change their ways they don't want to deal with advanced statistics and they think it's useless or whatever but then all of a sudden when a coach says hey you know we're using this in our game plan and here's the key statistics that we got from ken palm or whatever uh, well then the beat writer has to kind of pay attention and uh, i think coaches have, have won over uh, a lot of people in the media just simply by dropping my name in a in a press conference and giving me a little bit of credibility you were eventually able to leave the weather service world in 2013 and do this as a full-time gig. How exciting was that for you to be able to make KenPalm.com really your new career? And was there a time in making that transition where you were fearful that it would fail or maybe it would be something that you just got sick of doing? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely mixed emotions uh, because I really did. I, I loved like weather forecasting. There's uh there's nothing, there's nothing like it. You know, you can make a forecast for a basketball game and it's like, it's just hard to explain to people that, you know, the upsets happen and you can't really predict upsets. I mean, it's, that's the problem, you know, at the NCAA tournament is that for some people it's like a referendum on computer ratings, you know, if, uh, I mean, I don't know what a good example would have been from this season, but let's just say, you know, South Carolina had somehow like, pulled out the last two games and won the state tournament and probably, you know, you know, no like legitimate rating system should have had them ranked first in the country heading into the tournament. I mean, the fact that South Carolina would have won the tournament, would have just been an incredible story uh, uh, regarding a team that, uh, you know, played all right during the regular season and then played really, really well in the tournament. And that's what, you know, computer ratings would tell you that they were a, you know, big time fluke when you, when you look back at the tournament. So, uh, you know, this, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, like in terms of weather forecasting, there's no, you know, there's no, like people want you to get the forecast right. You know, they want, they like really appreciate when you get a forecast right. And when you get it wrong, obviously you get criticized, but, um, but I think people understand, you know, you're trying to do the best job you can. Whereas in basketball forecasting, people always, you know, if you're not predicting their team to win or you have their team ranked too low, like they think, you know, you have to get them or, you know, there's something wrong with you or something like that. And that part of the business is, uh, not my favorite. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, there was, you know, there was definitely mixed feelings with with leaving um, meteorology. But obviously, you know, the opportunity to do this for a living, to kind of set my own hours, and and uh, ultimately have it succeed, um, you, you know, overwhelms everything else. And it's been uh, it's been pretty cool. So yeah, there were definitely some moments where I was like, hey, is this going to work or not? But uh, it wasn't like I just quit my job not knowing whether it would work. I mean, there was a little bit of a transition there where I kind of had a really good idea that it would work. And uh, so ultimately, uh, ultimately, I kind of had a, a really good idea that it would work out. I wanted to wrap up with some topical stuff when it comes to college basketball. The end of the 2017 college basketball ratings. We've got Gonzaga and Villanova, one and two respectively, with the national champion, North Carolina ranked three. So clearly everything you do is a sham and a lie, Ken. <laughs> is that something that people will look at and say, well, this clearly doesn't work and I'm not going to come here anymore because Gonzaga should have won the national championship. Yeah. I mean, there, there are people that do say that. And I mean, I, I feel like those people don't, first of all, they're not really my target audience. I mean, I've kind of learned through doing this, that I'm not gonna, I shouldn't try to convince everybody that, uh, you know, they need to look at my site. And for some people, it's just not a good thing to look at my site. So, so I think there are definitely people who will, you know, say those kind of things and, uh, or they'll just pick out one team. Like, they'll, you know, you can find worse outliers than North Carolina being third. You can, you can find other teams that were ranked too high and or too low and, and say, Hey, you know, 
why is this team ranked so low? And obviously, a system doesn't work. So, uh, you know, let's just ignore everything else about about the site. And, uh, um, you know, it's not the way to go about it. Like, if, look, if you give give me any any humans rating of the top, you know, 100 teams or try to rate all 351 teams, I, I can find outliers in those ratings. And furthermore, I think if the human did it, as soon as they were done, they'd look back on their ratings and they would find outliers in their own ratings. Because it's so hard to, like, you know, put all these teams in an order that uh, – you know, a few people can agree on, let alone like every fan in the country. So, um, so yeah, so it's kind of, you know, I'm really at peace with the fact that, you know, most people that follow college basketball are not going to be terribly receptive of this work. But I do think there's, you know, a core group of people that uh, understand what I'm trying to accomplish and, and understand that, no, you're not going to take this list from one to 351 as gospel, but um, as far as getting teams kind of in the right neighborhood, it, it does a pretty good job and it can provide you with some, uh, additional insights, uh, because of that. Would you say that you receive the most hate on social media during the conference championships and national tournament time? Yeah. I mean, it's mainly during the tournament, you know, uh, I mean, it is hilarious. Like if you go back and, and look at, and I mentioned during, especially the first round, you know, there'll be a game where, uh, like one team will go way up on another and either I have that team favored or not favored. If they're favored, people will be like complimenting me and then they'll end up losing. Probably the best example this year was like Florida, the Florida Wisconsin game. I had Florida really high all year, probably a little bit too high, but really high all year. And, uh, you know, they end up uh, winning that game, of course, on a kind of a circus shot by Chris Gioza uh, at the end of overtime. And, uh, um, you know, there are comments in my, in my Twitter feed like, Oh, you know, Hey, Ken Palm has won the top five all year. They're legit. Nobody should be surprised if they won. Well, you know, had she has not made that shot, people would have been like, uh, you know, well, of course Ken Palm had Florida overrated all year. I mean, what, what was he thinking? You know, this is obviously a joke. So, uh, so just based on that one shot, which, uh, you know, probably didn't deserve to go in, uh, you know, I was getting compliments. And, uh, I mean, that's just like, there's always people on both sides of the fence, seemingly every, uh, every tournament game like that. You're the reason why my gambling habit isn't working out. Stuff like that with probably more colorful words, I would say. Yeah, some of that. I mean, you know, it's not, I should, you know, make too big a deal of it either. It's not, uh, not overwhelming, but, uh, and, you know, I've always actually been pretty impressed over the years that most people who deal with me are, are reasonable, especially through email. Like, I think Twitter just sort of fosters a, um, you know, a, more of a, a quick hit type of uh, um, conversation where people, you know, I'm more inclined to kind of make sarcastic remarks, but, uh, I mean, for the most part, uh, people are, are respectful and the ones that try to understand what I do, you know, realize that, uh, you know, sort of the nature of college basketball, that, uh, I could predict anything with absolute certainty. Uh, nobody would be watching anymore because what would be the point. When it comes to just the consumption of college basketball, do you have a favorite team to watch? How many games are you watching during a week? What is that process like just as not only a fan, but as somebody that probably is watching games just because of what he does for a living as well? Yeah. You know, my degrees are from Virginia Tech and Wyoming, so I, I follow those programs most closely um, during the course of the week. I mean, I'm probably on the, the higher end of the um, casual fan scale, you know, where I'm, you know, most nights I'm watching the game, but not every night. You know, I, I'm not one necessarily to sit sit on the couch on Saturday and, and watch games from noon until midnight. But you know, I'll I'll catch a couple of games on Saturday. Um, so you know, I, pretty much everything I do, I need to have a little bit of moderation so I don't get burned out. And so, uh, so I, you know, I, for the most part, until we maybe get to like conference tournament week. You know, conference tournament week, I'm trying to like catch every game and every score I can. Uh, that's probably the one exception. Then we get the NCAA tournament. I kind of back off again. You know, the first round, you know, I don't watch every single game. Um, then as we get later into the tournament, I, I kind of plug back in and watch everything. So I don't know. That's my routine is kind of all over the place. And I'm certainly not like, you know, trying to watch uh, 500 games over the course of the season. I would just, uh, I would start to lose my mind if I did that. Do you have a couple of teams we maybe should keep an eye out for in 2018, maybe at the end of March, or should we wait until you start producing some content come the fall? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the problem with, you know, producing those lists right now are that we're still trying to figure out who's playing where, who's going to commit to going to the NCAA or the NBA draft. You know, still kind of grad transfers out there that are 
um, waiting to uh, um, make decisions. But uh, I will say there's a lot of like top 25s out right now. People are putting out their early top 25s, and very few have TCU in there. And I feel like TCU uh, is almost surely a top 25 team. I mean, they were really good this year. Obviously, didn't make the NCAA tournament, but you know, went ahead and won the NIT and uh, basically bringing everybody back. So uh, uh, that's a team to uh, watch out for next year. I made a I made a little snarky tweet predicting they'd win the Big Twelve, and I you know I, there's, there's definitely a lot of snark in there. I mean, if I had to pick, I wouldn't pick TCU, but there's certainly they will be a factor in the race next year. I predict. So, uh, so that's a a little nugget to uh, to digest until I uh, produce the uh, preseason ratings publicly and uh, sometime in October. I was going to ask to close everything. When should people start going back to your site and getting back into the swing of things with taking a look at the rankings that start coming out and everything that you've been previewing and getting us ready for the next season? Yeah. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll post some stuff, uh, you know, during the off season, like I said, at the beginning, it's a really good time to do kind of long-term projects. And so these studies that require, you know, multiple weeks to like sift through data, um, you know, I usually end up posting some stuff kind of uh, June, July timeframe on that. So um, it's just also, you know, you got to be really a, an analytics nerd to be into kind of the stuff I write during the summer. But there'll be some content that'll that'll pop up around that time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hit it pretty hard, like October. You know, I, I post the preseason ratings basically the last weekend of October. So, um, you yeah, know, that's when the site starts to come back to life again and we can really, like, start thinking about the upcoming season a little bit more seriously. Is there a topic you're working on now that will come out in the summer that you'd like to tease to get the analytics folks a little bit excited until then? Yeah. You know, one thing I've, I've done is I've kind of created a, a database of uh, a play-by-play database that has, you know, every, for every play it has what, who was on the court and what position they played. So um, I'm kind of breaking down that data right now. There's some interesting trends that I think aren't too surprising, but we've seen, you know, uh, pretty much at all levels of basketball, a, a, an explosion in the number of three-point attempts that are taken. Certainly in college, that's uh, hit home the last couple of years. And you can really see that um, in terms of how the front-line players play, the four and the five. Like the number of threes they've taken the last two years is, has increased uh, quite a bit. And at every position, players are taking fewer mid-range shots. So um, none of those are too surprising, but to see them in graph form is kind of interesting. And so uh, that's something I'll I'll be posting eventually when I can uh, summon up the the courage to to put some words to the data. But uh, yeah, that, it's kind of uh, some intriguing stuff to just see things broken down by position. It gives you a little bit more understanding about kind of how the games evolved here the last two or three years. And I'd still say there's still several more weeks left where you could enjoy some well-deserved time off. Well, I appreciate you giving me permission. I some you know, to some extent I've kind of like drawn to to the computer, you know, every day anyway. Like, oh, you know, I just have this idea and I need to like test this out. You know, the the work is a little more it's less stressful and more leisurely, but uh it is hard to kind of like actually take an entire week off from, you know, playing around with basketball data because it is a lot of fun. Well, Ken, thanks so much for coming on to the show and explaining everything that you do. I hope it helped college basketball fans or anyone else get a better understanding of what you do and the amount of work that goes into it. It's definitely an incredibly valuable resource for anyone interested in college basketball. For a small subscription fee, you pretty much get everything you could ever ask for when it comes to rankings and ratings and stats. It's an amazing website. It looks great. It's easy on the eyes and definitely appreciate it. I'm sure you've heard enough times from college basketball fans, the amount of work you do. So continued success with what you're doing over at Kempom and the other projects that you're up to. Thanks again for peeling the curtain back a little bit and helping us out, break down what you've been doing all year. Yeah, no problem, John. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I uh, enjoyed the conversation. We'll close out the show with another edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Kyle Cicilloni, a special television edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room. Don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers, so you'll still be able to see these shows and we'll have a better idea of what will be in store for you if you do see them. This week, Kyle will break down some of the more popular television series going on on an array of different platforms and offer his thoughts on them, along with a special guest as well. 
You can find Kyle on Twitter and on Periscope. He's at Kyle Ciciloni. That's K-Y-L-E-C-I-C-I-L-I-O-N-I. And find some of his work as well over at ajazznetworks.com. Without further ado, here's this week's edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Kyle Ciciloni. Thanks, John. Welcome again to Five Minutes in the Film Room with Kyle Ciciloni. I'm your host. This week we're going to do something a little bit different. It's not going to be so much the film room as it is the television room. A lot of great television has been coming out lately, especially on Netflix. So I just wanted to kind of go over a couple things, 14 in particular, that range a couple different networks and just want to go over them here within the five minutes here. So I'm going to go really quickly. So the first one up here is Legion. This is an FX show and it's pretty awesome, I think. Or maybe it just seems awesome because it's not a linear narrative and it does some cool stuff psychologically. And uh, No, it's definitely awesome. Yeah, definitely awesome. It's pretty much our first glimpse into Marvel television TV show via Fox, obviously. And with their success with Deadpool and Logan, they're really doing a lot of good things here. And Legion is another good example of that. It's a pretty damn impressive show. Noah Hawley is certainly becoming one heck of a showrunner after doing Fargo Season 1 and 2, and obviously he's got Fargo Season 3 coming up soon. And as a quick note, I have no idea what the source material is like for Legion. Iron Fist, also another new superhero show. It's on Netflix. The editing's pretty awful. The choreography and action scenes are very boring. There's whitewashing of characters, and the lead character is pretty dull. Danny Rand is the lead character. If you are familiar with all of the Marvel Defenders that are coming out, so that's Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Luke Cage, and now Iron Fist, you'll know that Claire Temple is a very important character in that whole series, and again, she's even more shoehorned into this series than she was into Luke Cage. That being said, I still kind of enjoy watching this series unfold slightly more than Luke Cage. The Meacham storyline is way more interesting than Danny Rand's storyline, which is the kind of the main character, main plot going on in the story. Crashing! The newest Pete Holmes show on HBO, and this is pretty simple. If you like Pete Holmes, you will love this show. If you don't, you'll probably still like it. If you have no idea who Pete Holmes is, but enjoy the typical story of a comedian striving to become popular in the industry, then it's worth a watch. The cameos in this show are pretty fantastic. Young Pope, also on HBO. This show came out a little while ago, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it. just wanted to briefly mention it. It's an exquisitely well-produced show. Every shot is artistic and beautiful. Creates a pretty curious take on the Catholic Church, uh, leading with our main actor, Jude Law, who is the young pope, obviously. After watching the show, I have no idea what I'm really supposed to feel after finishing it. Maybe that's the point. You kind of have to watch to get it. I'm not sure what I was supposed to get out of it. Still pretty watch, and some interesting things that happened to it. Sneaky Pete on Amazon. This is a con man show, typical con man stuff. It plays it safe. It doesn't do anything particularly great. Giovanni Ribisi is the main actor in this. Brian Cranston, I think, was part of the writing credit, and he's also in this as well. Obviously, he plays a great role. He's like a kind of a mob boss sort of guy, and he's obviously great as usual. Netflix's The Santa Clara Diet and Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events and FX's Taboo all got one episode worth of watching from me. Didn't get much farther than that, wasn't terribly interested or intrigued by any of these shows, so I can't really tell you much about them other than the fact that I wasn't hooked after the first episode, so if that's any indication, then take that for what it's worth. Also, another Netflix news show here, which just came out not long ago, 13 Reasons Why. And instead of me listing 13 Reasons Why I didn't even bother watching this show, why not have my lovely fiancé Jen tell you what she thought? It is just a raw, beautiful show. I mean, anyone who's been bullied or felt like they were alone in this world, this is the show to watch. Even if you haven't been bullied, you know someone who has or you had a friend that you kind of lost touch with for certain reasons. It just brings a reality to situations in high school. There are a lot of things in the show that will annoy you, but at the end of the day, it is a great story. And I think a lot of people would learn from this couple of shows here that are returning for new seasons. Always Sunny Season 12, an FX show, obviously. I'm sure you've heard of this. It's the same kind of deal. You know, the gang's still doing their typical shenanigans and getting into their crazy predicaments. It's funny, obviously. I will say the season felt a tad inferior to the past two seasons, which to me were some of the best episodes the show has ever done. 
Season two of Love also hit Netflix not long ago. This is the Judd Apatow show starring Paul Rust and Jillian Jacobs. This is a great show. I really enjoyed season one. Season two is a lot more of the same, just kind of expanding on it, introducing a couple new interesting characters, which definitely added the enjoyment of it. I really find that Paul Rust and Jillian Jacobs characters are very enjoyable and more relatable this season than they were in the first season, which is a sign of kind of good writing. There are genuinely hilarious moments in this, and obviously sometimes... It relies a little too much on that awkward humor, which I mean, some people thrive on, some people don't. I like it. Sometimes it did feel a little heavy-handed. Also, really quick here, Trailer Park Boys Season 11, also on Netflix. Amateur writing. The show's getting a lot of the same shtick. It's nothing new, and it's not anything to write home about. If you're really looking to get into Trailer Park Boys, I suggest starting from the beginning. Season 3 is really what hit its stride. A couple of the other Netflix episodes, which started with Season 8, I believe. A couple of those are good, but this one just felt a little lame. Planet Earth 2. Not season 2 of Planet Earth. This is Planet Earth 2. Technically, it's the sequel, but this is on BBC One. Ten years since the first Planet Earth. That means ten more years of exploration, discovery, and life using more advanced technology than we've ever seen before, which allows the creators of this show to truly capture the wonder and mystery behind our planet. And it's incredible. If you are all interested in this kind of stuff with nature and everything, it's absolutely unbelievable. It's breathtaking, some of the shots they make, and mind-blowing what they get on film in this show. It's incredible. And really quickly, last but not least here, Louis C.K. came out with a new Netflix stand-up comedy special. It's just called 2017, Louis C.K. 2017. All the jokes and lines from this one actually saw him last year. And all of the bits he does in this show were stuff that he did at the show when I saw him. So just obviously just more polished and fine-tuned, rearranged for, you know, effectiveness and everything. It's pretty funny, though. Typical Louis. The first 15 minutes, he's talking about abortion, suicide, and beheadings. It's really funny. And he makes a really excellent bit about religion and years and why we use certain years and stuff like that. Yeah, so thanks for joining me in five-plus minutes in the film room at this point. I'm Kyle Sisloni, and we'll see you next time for actual films, probably. Sexy. Check! Uh, check, please. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me under that same handle on Twitter, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge when they're immediately released. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dive into some baseball, take a look around the NBA playoffs, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.